full-lipped. So dark had the noonday turned that, without that brief flash, Barnaby could scarcely have seen the shadowed eyes. He felt an odd little shock within himself when he realised they were very light in colour and were fixed on him. A great crack of thunder banged out overhead. The black canopy burst and fell out of the sky in a deluge. There was a stampede. Barnaby snatched up his raincoat, struggled into it, and dragged the hood over his head. He had not paid his bill and groped for his pocketbook. The three countrymen blundered towards him, and there was some sort of collision between them and the young couple. The young man broke into loud, quarrelsome expostulation. Barnaby could find nothing smaller than a thousand lira note. He turned away, looked round for a waiter, and found that they had all retreated under the canvas awning. His own man saw him, made a grand opera gesture of despair, and turned his back. Aspetti! Barnaby shouted in phrasebook Italian, waving his thousand lira note. Quanto devo pagare? The waiter placed his hands together as if in prayer and turned up his eyes. Basta! Lasci passare! Se ne vado ora! Non desidero parlare! Non l'ho fatto io! Vatene! Stroccese! The row between the lover and the countryman was heating up. They now screamed into each other's faces behind Barnaby's back. The waiter indicated with a multiple gesture the heavens, the rain, his own defencelessness. Barnaby thought, after all, I'm the one with the raincoat. Somebody crashed into his back and sent him spread-eagled across his table. A scene of the utmost confusion followed, accompanied by flashes of lightning, immediate thunderclaps and torrents of rain. Barnaby was winded and bruised. A piece of glass had cut the palm of his hand, and his nose also bled. The combatants had disappeared, but his waiter now equipped with an enormous orange and red umbrella, babbled over him and made ineffectual dabs at his hand. The other waiters, clustered beneath the awning, rendered a chorus to the action. Poverino, they exclaimed, what a misfortune! Barnaby recovered an upright posture. With one hand he dragged a handkerchief from the pocket of his raincoat and clapped it to his face. In the other he extended to the waiter his bloodied and rain-sopped thousand-lira note. Here, he said in his basic Italian, keep the change. I require a taxi. The waiter ejaculated with evident pleasure. Barnaby sat down abruptly on a chair that had become a bird bath. The waiter ludicrously inserted his umbrella into a socket in the middle of the table, said something incomprehensible, turned up the collar of his white jacket, and bolted into the interior. To telephone, Barnaby hoped, for a taxi. The Piazza Colonna was rain-possessed. A huge weight of water flooded the street and pavements and spurted off the roofs of cars as if another multiple Roman fountain had been born. Motorists stared through blurred glass and passed jigging windscreen wipers at the world outside. Except for isolated, scurrying wayfarers, the pavements were emptied. Barnaby Grant, huddled, alone and ridiculous under his orange and red umbrella, staunched his bloody nose. He attracted a certain incredulous attention. The waiter had disappeared, and his comrades had got up amongst themselves one of those inscrutable Italian conversations that appear to be quarrels, but very often end in backslaps and roars of laughter. Barnaby never could form the slightest notion of how long he had sat under the umbrella before he made his hideous discovery. Before his left arm dangled from his shoulder, and his left hand encountered nothing. As if it had a separate entity, the hand explored, discovered only the leg of his chair, widened its search and found nothing. 
He remembered afterwards that he'd been afraid to get into touch with his hand, to duck his head and look down and find a puddle of water, the iron foot of his chair leg, and again, nothing. The experience that followed could, he afterwards supposed, be compared to the popular belief about drowning, in that an impossible flood of thoughts crowded his brain. He thought, for instance, of how long it had taken him to write his book, of his knowledge that undoubtedly it was the best thing he'd done, perhaps would ever do. He remembered his agent had once suggested that it was dangerous to write in longhand with no duplication. He remembered how isolated he was in Rome, with virtually no Italian, and how he hadn't bothered to use his introductions. He thought inaccurately of... who? Was it Sir Isaac Newton? Oh, Diamond, Diamond, you'll little know what you have done. Above all, he thought of the ineffable, the unthinkable, the atrocious...